Hey, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. This is Brendan Sinone. Uh, we are recording in the bowels of, uh, of Doak Campbell Stadium. Uh, well, the Moore Center, what are we going to call it? This is Doak that we're under? We're in the Moore Athletic Center. But, but it's in Doak. The future academic center of Florida State football. This is Jimbo's football ops center right here. He owns the place. It will be. <laughs> you guys are hearing the semi-salty voices of Chris Nee and Bob Ferranti. Thanks for joining, guys. We are recording as we're kind of waiting, uh, waiting for football availability availability here on a, a Monday afternoon. Uh, practice is canceled uh, for the rest of the week. Well, he practice had, available to closed. The- He's struggling. <laughs> no, it's canceled as far as media members are concerned. It's closed. Uh, well, he's a correct verbiage. I'm salty too because I've been up since probably 1:30 the night before. Fiance was at the ER. Everything's okay, but. Had an old man having a heart attack and farting a lot next to us and throwing up. So it's been a lot of flatulence, a lot of hot air being blown out, uh, both in my personal life and now professionally too, because we don't have much access. Uh, but we do have news. We had Jimbo Fisher today, and let's get to that. Uh, Chris, let's start with you. What your main takeaway from Jimbo Fisher as he addressed the media for the first time of game week, Alabama. Well, he's certainly happy it is game week, that they're ready to hit another team, not their same team. Um, I think the biggest takeaway is just a continued trend of him being fairly optimistic, you know, happy with the team he has, with the preseason they had, with the depth they have. Um, I think Tim Linnefelt, who works for Sentinels.com, asked him a question about the offensive line. He, you know, he sounded optimistic about that bunch. I think a lot of people have a wait-and-see attitude with that. I know I definitely do. Um, but he's very happy with Derek Kelly and the job he's done at left tackle. So I think he feels confident that spot's at least solidified. I think the interior spots are pretty good already, too. But uh, beyond that, I thought Jimbo, you know, he spoke for just over 20 minutes, if I'm correct. And, uh, yeah. yeah but it wasn't anything earth-shattering. Um, he expects Matthew Thomas back. That was probably the most newsy thing. We'll get into that, yeah. Yeah, and that's been kind of a continuous comment. And obviously, we saw him on Friday at the kickoff luncheon. And, uh, you know, they also released a depth chart, which I know we're going to get into, too. But those were kind of my main takeaways. That was... Kind of scary how optimistic he's been this whole preseason, and then that's kind of continued over into this, you know, the first part of the, the game week. Very optimistic, it seems, about offensive line. You know, again, praising Derek Kelly at left tackle. And, uh, again, nobody would have seen that coming a month ago, but no. there's a guy who's kind of come out of nowhere and uh, a lot of injuries in 2016, but a guy that over the last month he's really made a name for himself. And you always kind of say with some of these guys, if they can stay healthy, if they can stay healthy, and I think – that was one of the guys that we were curious about how he might contribute, and he kind of thought he'd be at right tackle, but instead he's he's looked like the best fit at left tackle. I think also Jimbo is very you know very pleased with the running backs. Um, he has constantly, consistently, not just mentioned you know Cam Akers and Jaquez Patrick and Amir Rasul, but he goes out of his way to go down the line and, and to talk about. Fullbacks, Vickers, who still tends to be a, a favorite of Jimbo's. That had a Jimbo, that's his boy. So yeah, it, it seems like um, it sounds weird to say that that Dalvin Cook's gone and, and life has moved on and things still feel like like that's going to be a, a strong unit on this team. But you know, it, it's almost something like nationally. You say, well, wait a minute, how do you how do you move on from a guy who's the all time you know leading rusher in school history? But this program has. You know, clearly done that a long time ago, and they feel really good with what they have. Um, and you guys both mentioned confidence. Um, that's something that that I think the fan base, based on what we see on our message board and, and readers, uh, 
are having a hard time kind of buying in. I think that's part partially because Jimbo was so optimistic ahead of the 2016 season. Uh, we heard a lot of really good things uh, consistently about the talent level. I mean, he gushed often, you know, uh, with guys upside, whether it be Derek Nadi kind of comparing him to Timmy Jernigan. Uh, I'm trying to think. There's He was just super excited. I would say the big difference, though, is this year. Jimbo's not gushing as much as he is. Just seems very confident, very at peace. And last year, guys, remember, we saw him get pretty pissed off, too, at times in the preseason and question mental toughness. And that's something that kind of came to fruition. So as we talk about confidence and it's tough to read into a coach sometimes, I think that's the biggest difference from what we've seen in the little 15, 20-minute snippets at a time that we get to interact with Jimbo during the week. Yeah, and he talks about consistency a bunch, too. A lot, yeah. And uh, that that was a constant theme in the preseason. You know, we didn't really have a day where he was just dogging a certain unit. Mm-hmm. You know, there were times where he said guys were doing things wrong. There were times where he talked about we got to improve in this regard. But there was really a time where he's like, I just flabbergasted with a group. Mm-hmm. Almost as though he came off as feeling like they can't do anything right, which we've seen plenty in the past. Now, you know, I think I think the fan base part of it is wait and see. I think people want to see the O-line. I don't think people are going to believe the O-line's good till they see it perform well. We're going to know and that may by even... time against Alabama how good they can be. Um, and Bama's going to give them issues because it's Bama. They're not talented. I'm going to say but... the offensive line, we may not even have an idea until they recalibrate after yeah. three or four games because of the, the D-lines they're going to be playing. And then defense is the other big question mark. You know, I think people... I think if you polled 100 people, 95 of them would tell you it's an elite talent defense. Mm-hmm. I think the same 95 would say, I want to see it be an elite talent defense, perform like an elite talent defense. Those were questions with Derek, like Derek Kelly. Or, yeah, sorry, Charles, Charles Kelly. Kelly. Um, again, one thirty this morning. Yeah, Charles Kelly coming up. And we talked about that last yeah. podcast. So. Yeah, there's reason to be optimistic, I think, of this team uh, with what we've seen, what we've heard on record, what we've heard off record. Um, but there's also reason to be skeptical. The schedule being part of that, um, what we saw last year being part of that, and wondering what this team can do. Still, frankly, without like an elite Jameis Winston at quarterback, that still kind of remains to be seen what the upside of a Jimbo Fisher coach team is without Jimbo or without without a guy that he can really kind of sink uh, sink into and be happy with at quarterback. He likes DeAndre Francois, but you know, he's not Jameis, and that's kind of what we're going to be seeing this year. Um, so, guys, here we have just kind of to set up what, what the the topics that we're going to go through today with maybe some variations of, of going off, off-road here. But we're going to talk about the depth chart that was released today. We're going to talk about Matthew Thomas' uh, update and go a little bit into what Jimbo was saying about Trey Marshall and not uh, having him for the first half against Alabama. Bob, you asked that question during the press conference. Maybe we'll riff a little bit on practice policies and, and some other stuff but um, with, with media coverage. So let's uh, let's start off with, with Matthew Thomas' uh Jimbo said he's supposed to be practicing on Monday, or at least he thinks he's supposed to be practicing, could be. Um, what does that mean if he is available, and do we kind of think that that Matthew Thomas is going to be here and be available for the Alabama opener? I've been in the I'll believe it when I see it camp, too. I, I've always kind of felt like we will know when we're in Atlanta and on the field watching the pregame warm-ups, mm-hmm. just you know, if he is going to play and if he's running with the first team. I'm I'm going to remain skeptical, although Jimbo has seemed to be, again, very optimistic that things will get resolved. This this has gone from a, an illness to he's dealing with other things. It's been, I think, intentionally vague, and Jimbo's trying to protect Matthew really well. 
but at this in, point, in, in illness, but Jimbo said that Matthew's been conditioning by himself during his stay in shape if he does well, return. He, he lied. I mean, let's just put it out there. He lied. He, you know, the initial. I mean, maybe Matthew didn't feel well one day or something. Yeah, could, but, but but the I, reason why he missed two weeks was not because I don't of know illness. if his theory would be cleared up quickly or what, but obviously it wasn't. Yeah. Um, not the hijack it, but I think we see him play. I don't think he would have been at the kickoff luncheon if he's ineligible. I don't think he'd be on the depth chart listed as a co-starter at his position if he was ineligible. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I he expects him to be out there today. I think the safe bet is he's out there at some point this week. Now, whether or not he starts, who knows? You know, he hasn't put in a ton of practice reps, but he's certainly going to play. He's a senior and knows what he's supposed to do. I think we see him. Um, but, you know, I, the whole saga was irritating. It's kind of made more so by the lack of straightforwardness. Not that we had to be told what the situation was, but the way we were told about what the situation was was misleading and false and shouldn't have been done in that manner. And people see right through that. I mean, yeah. not, not just not just people who are professionally covering a football team and can you know pay to sift through that, but but just you anyone. Can say, you can say a guy is out with a situation that we have to work towards a resolution. That's the that's extent it. of the comments on it. Yeah. Telling us he's sick and then developing into he's absent because of other reasons. And then it becomes, you know, Matthew Thomas watched 2018 or 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was kind of self-created. And I know people are always going to want to know what's next, what's next. But I think, to a degree, the members of the media ask them every day about it because it's been created into that. Well, Instead we're being, of, we're, we're going to give you a resolution, yeah. and when we know it, we'll let you know. You know, the reason we do ask every day is because... Early in this process, we were flat out lying, and, and we were and we're asked every day too. I mean, that's yeah. part of it. Is is I think this gets lost, and we're an extension, we're a branch of, of you guys, our listeners, our readers. Like, if you have questions and they are consistently asked, like that's kind of on us to either answer them through what we know or to find out. And I, I have no issue with a coach being vague or yeah, we're not, not entitled not to know answer. every little thing. I have no thing. issue with that. Correct. And yeah. when it comes to an academic situation, there are certain rules you have to follow, and a kid deserves some form of privacy. Yeah. My issue is when you straight up lie and then the lie changes and you sort of get caught. And I, mm-hmm. I find it foolish more than anything, but whatever. Not not productive, but yeah. Look, Matthew Thomas. Let's talk about his productivity. If he is available, and again, I think. Oh, I'm, Chris, you I'm think on he's there on a podcast? That, yeah. you know, I think he's going to have ready. a huge year. I yeah. think he's a vital piece of that defense. I think he changes what you can do up front, the way you can attack people, the way you can disguise things. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think he's a huge asset in the passing game. Not that he's not athletic and can't do that, but my belief system with him is he's downhill. He's going to pressure the quarterback. He's going to be able to chase the quarterback when the quarterback tries to extend the play. Mm-hmm. He impacts that part of the game a great deal. And he frees up a guy like Jacob Pugh, who we all think is going to have a big year, mm-hmm. and your defensive ends and Brian Burns, Josh Sweat, and so on and so forth. He helps to free up some things they can do, or they help to open holes that he can shoot through. I just think there's a lot of opportunity for him to be really productive, a high tackle machine type of guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's a huge piece. I think the drop-off from him to Emmett Rice is not significant, but yeah. it's there. It's healthy. I mean, it's, you yeah. know. I think Emmett Rice will be a serviceable, if he is forced to play in the starting will be a serviceable linebacker and grow into a good one over time, possibly. I think he has that upside. But, yeah, with Matthew Thomas, you have the ability of a guy, you saw his upside and what it is and what he's starting to reach in that orange bowl last year. Similarly, like you said, Chris, attacks downhill. We saw against Florida and some other games he was really good in coverage. Uh, some of the metrics will point to him being one of the most efficient guys when he rushes the quarterback and blitzes off the edge. Like he gets them. He may not get a sack, but he pressures the quarterback when he does. He's what you want in a linebacker prototype, prototype guy who can defend against any type of offensive scheme. So 
Yeah, yeah. Without him, I mean, it's a tough ass to, to go and play a, a offense that was really good last year in Alabama's with a nice quarterback and Jalen Hurts and a really good run game. Uh, you need Matthew Thomas. So I, I think Florida State fans are starting to kind of see, get closer to uh, you know, fruition that Matthew Thomas will be available. That's kind of what we've expected and have said on this podcast for over a week. I think a couple weeks now, it's kind of what we've been expecting. But like Bob said, uh, believe it when, when we see it still. And I think that's fair too to, to have some caution. Um, but I do think you're kind of starting to see resolution in this whole saga. And um, depth chart, guys. Let's talk about depth chart and and that was released today. Um, some some different, a few surprises here and there. Uh, Chris, what was your biggest takeaway? And you did a good piece on on five. Uh, you had five of your biggest takeaways, but just if you give us one and, and save some for Bob and myself, uh, uh, that stood out to you. Getting some finality on the uh, offensive line, knowing who's yeah. supposed to be where, what's going on. First team, the biggest questions were to tackle spots. We obviously realized Derek was going to settle in at left for a while, and that's, which and allows that's, Rick to go back to right, which is probably beneficial for both parties. And that's how and, it shook out on the depth chart. Yeah, yeah, and I think Derek's going to be a little more consistent at left than what you can expect from Rick. The other thing I took away from the O-line depth chart is that the second team doesn't exactly set my world on fire. You know, Corey, no. Mar- Corey <laughs> Martinez being a backup center right now is sort of concerning based on past performances. The interior, your next two guys up are Brock Rubel, not the most flexible human being in the history of humankind. And then at tackle, you've got one backup for both spots of Josh Ball, who I'm very high on. And yeah. I, I'd be intrigued to see him push Rick at that right tackle spot. Mm-hmm. But, you know, while that group is deeper, it doesn't feel particularly great walking into the season. Some of that is a guy like Bavion being banged up. Yeah, I mean, banged up. But Bavion Johnson for... I, mean, yeah. I assume most know, but he, Bavon Johnson, who had pretty Done high expectations, year. is out for the year with a torn knee. Yeah, and then David Robbins has had a uh, slow preseason due to a couple ailments, yeah. it seems. So, you know, that group's not exactly, you know, doing great from a health standpoint. They've got two guys out for the year, Bavion Johnson, who we mentioned, Jawan Williams as mm-hmm. well, limits yet tackle. You know, Abdul Bello is a guy who I don't think has particularly developed as hoped. No. Can't be relied <laughs> upon. So, you know, you're walking in the season while you're deeper, you're, you don't feel quite as deep as you probably should for the numbers you're carrying yeah. on the roster. Well, that's, I mean, kind of a good thing when we talked about, I think it was the 15, no, it was the 16 class and 14 class where they just brought in a ton of offensive linemen in those. Uh, and Jimbo Fisher spoke about, you know, that depth being important at that position because it changes the way you practice. Uh, that's a position that is prone to a lot of injuries. Just big guys who break down more easily and have contact every single play. Um, imagine if they didn't have the numbers yeah. that they had. I don't want to call it depth necessarily because like, I think there has to be quality depth, and we don't know what it is at this point. Now you have Bavion out and a couple other guys. Um, but, but there are numbers, at least, that you can kind of work with. Um, so, yeah, I think getting that, that you know, we had an idea what that starting five was going to look like, and Jimbo likes to call it the right five. I don't know if this is what the year that starts the season is what ends it, but uh, we do at least have clarity of what that looks like. What about you, Bob? What kind of stood out to you when, when you kind of skimmed over the, uh, the depth chart when they handed that out to us today? I think it's not a big surprise, but Jimbo has talked about going with the bigger return men, and I think it's it's kind of good to see that he has been uh, pretty consistent with going wanting to go with guys like Keith Gavin and Derwin James on kick returns. You know, it's it's going to be really interesting to see what two guys who are 6'3 and well over 210 pounds in – and Derwin and then Keith is 225. You know, you have to pick your poison. If you can't get a touchback, you're going to have to kick to one of those two guys. Which one are you going to want to choose? I wouldn't want to have Derwin blocking. I wouldn't want to have Keith running it back after what we saw against Michigan either. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think that is interesting. I, I think you know, Forest State desperately needs to set up this offense with really good field position, especially with the offensive line issues that, that Florida State is likely going to have all year. They're going to need to have field position to the 30s and not necessarily in that 23 to 27 range. Jimbo likes to be able to play call plays when he's working with good field position. That's, you know, that's a really minor thing, but I was just pleased to see that he's talked about big return men, mm-hmm. and now it looks like that's what's going to happen. Yeah, he's following through with that. And to kind of shift gears uh, real quick, and we'll get back to the depth chart, but but as we're recording the podcast here on uh, on Monday afternoon, uh, late evening, uh, we just saw a tweet uh, from our friend uh, who's been on the show a couple times, Wayne McGahee of the Tallahassee Democrat, uh, was out uh, before practice, I guess, or, or at least you know, he's reporting that uh, – Matthew Thomas did not walk in with the team at the start of practice. Now, who knows what that means, you know, whether he joins later or not, but that's probably not a great sign. You know, typically for you guys who, who don't know, uh, you know, the players walk from uh, the locker room and they cross over to the practice fields uh, across the street. So you get a pretty good – I mean, you're just a student standing out there. You can tell who's walking there who's not. So um, – just to update you guys, doesn't look like Matthew Thomas is out there today. Uh, if we hear anything more while we're recording the podcast, we'll, we'll update. But according to Wayne's report, uh, what Wayne observed, uh, doesn't look like Thomas is there today. And in all fairness, like uh, you know, Jimbo said, they were expecting him today. Um, I don't think today was like the last day where it definitively had to happen one way or the other. So I don't think that changes anything. This, as long as he's in class, it has to happen this week. Yeah. yeah oh, this week. Yes, yeah. correct. I mean, it's, it's just... Getting back to what we were talking about earlier, it's all turned into kind of a circus and foolishly, you know, let us know when the finality to it. You know, that's like, <laughs> tell, us, t- tell us at the start that, you know, there's something going on. It's going to take a while and when there's a resolution, tell us there's finality to it. Well, I'm sure Jimbo's going to be asking about I, I it get, now on Tuesday. I get that we keep asking the question. He keeps having to answer it, but it's yeah. also because of how this all began. Yes. The fact that we do ask every day is because, you know... Yeah, there wasn't transparency. So, Yeah, Yeah, we'd still ask, don't get us wrong, but it would probably be every couple days or something like that. There'd be a little bit more uh, leniency and, and, yeah. But anyways, so back... We're going to have people stalking the buses before they leave for Atlanta to make sure it's on the bus. There's going to be people at new Mercedes-Benz to see if he walks in the locker room. I mean, that's the point we've reached. What's crazy with just this, with with Matt and some his fault, some not his fault, but his career is just the the inability to put consistent production together or playing time together. I mean, just talking about a guy who's just never been able to just string together – consecutive good moments. Yeah, and there's always something going on. I mean, it's one of those things where... Let's recap it real quick. It's 2013 shoulder injury yeah. that ended his season. Before that was the whole recruiting debacle of, of signing... Almost going to USC yeah. and that whole thing, yeah. Um, 2014, uh, suspended for the first six games, correct? Ankle. Ankle. We were originally yes, told it was an ankle, ankle. injury, um, and it was not. <clears throat> 2015, suspended for the entire season, correct? Yeah. If I'm wrong, yeah, correct me, please. I'm doing it off the top of my head, and again, like two hours of sleep. Came back last year and finally um, started putting it together. Yep, and even Show that, that, and, that the and he was a guy, like, he, he had a decent start, and then things got really bad, and then he figured it all out, it looked like, and now here we are, like, like all of a sudden, the scenario is that he's going to go to Alabama with, you know, not having practice in weeks, possibly, or at least, you know, only a couple of days of practice after not practicing for weeks, so... Kind of befuddling, but anyways, I enough Matthew Thomas talk for now. Uh, depth chart for me, uh, the, the thing that kind of stood out 
was at running back, and Chris alluded to this earlier on in the show, you know, Jacquez Patrick at number one, not a surprise. Jimbo Fisher said that this is his job at running back. He's kind of the heir apparent to Dalvin Cook. We knew that, um, you know, Bob, you were talking about replacing Dalvin Cook. I think we're all kind of, we've talked about this before, it's going to be group by committee. But as you look at the order of that group, the way it's placed, and there's three or, or two orders, so that means it could be one of three guys, the way that this depth chart has worked. you got Cam Akers, Ryan Green, and Amir Rasul. To me, it's not that those three guys are there because I think we expected for sure Akers and Rasul to be part of it and Green as a senior who knows what he's doing at least and, and does a lot of things well, just not maybe an elite talent, but but but, but good um, and just has had the unfortunate luck of being behind Dalvin Cook and now possibly Cam Akers and some other you know, prodigious type of runners possibly. Um, but, but Cam Akers being the number two guy, even though there's the oars behind Patrick, I thought was interesting. That shows that there's confidence in him. You know, the other freshman running backs uh, – Kalon LeBorn and uh, and Saquandre White aren't aren't there, so that's telling. Uh, we've heard a lot of good things about Cam Akers since he arrived in the spring. Kind of been a little bit more quiet. We've heard some things about Cam Akers in preseason, right? But but not not to the extent of maybe we we're expecting. I wonder if Florida State's kind of trying to to keep keep that on the down low a little bit. Um, so yeah, that's the that's the depth chart stuff. Uh, One other thing is Bob got clarity. Um, asked Jimbo directly regarding Trey Marshall's replacement for the first half due to his objection, keeping him suspended for the first half because of an idiotic rule. Um, <laughs> it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No, it doesn't. I mean, you're suspended for a game in 2017 for something you did during the 2016 season. It's just stupid. But uh, A.J. Westbrook will be that guy, which is sort of what we've thought throughout yeah. the pre- preseason. It makes sense. And they're going to use multiple safeties for different roles for different times. Mm-hmm. And Jimbo alluded to that today. But, you know, it's nice to get the clarity that Westbrook is kind of the first man up. Yep, yep, basically kind of what we had with that. Was that kind of what you were thinking going into it, Bob, was that it was going to be Westbrook as the likely, you know, plug-and-play kind of guy from the first half? I kind of feel like the staff had confidence in him, you know, coming out of that, what's that, game two last year with the Derwin injury. They thought he was ready to accept more responsibilities. And obviously the Louisville game wasn't on one defensive player. It was on a whole group, you know, (laughs) calamity of errors but you know Westbrook grew from that day I think he learned and I think in 11 months you've really seen a big turnaround he's a guy who clearly wasn't ready and now he absolutely is in Jimbo's viewpoint he's a guy who's making plays Jimbo sees it on a pretty regular basis this preseason I think if Jimbo trusts him I'm sure Charles Kelly is probably in that group too you know they're feeling pretty good to go with him and you know if there are issues you also have Roman Lane Nate Andrews, if he happens to be healthy, is an option too. Mm-hmm. They could run down the line and go to Hamsa, who's mm-hmm. been also they, impressive. Like, yeah. um, I, I think it's a ridiculous situation, as Jimbo has mentioned. You know, a week ago, it's a really bad rule to have it carry over from one year to the next, but it's something that you're stuck with, and I think Florida State has handled it about as well as you can. You know, you've got to develop somebody to step in. I, I think now we're kind of seeing with clarity that's going to be AJ Westbrook. And it makes sense because he's a guy that has been praised for his versatility before. Um, knowledge. Knowledge, you know where to go. Yeah. To and that, that helps with the versatility. He can explain what they're supposed to do on defense, what he's supposed to do. He, Charles Kelly and Jimbo have both talked about that numerous times over the last you know year and a half, that he's a guy that gets it. Like He, he processes very yeah. well and very intelligent when mm-hmm. it comes to football, very savvy on the field in that sense. Now it's just a matter of 
make the plays. You know, he, he, he got bushwhacked at Louisville, right? if I remember correctly. Brandon Radcliffe's huge run early in that game was that first, at AJ. Yeah, and that was AJ just and trying to come in to fill the hole yeah, on the edge. It, and, and It happens. Yeah. You know, guys get thrown in the fire, and sometimes they get burned by the fire. I think AJ long-term is a guy who's going to be just he, he rebounded. Like, I mean, yeah. that, his performance against Michigan was one of the reasons why they win that game, was yeah. he played really and well. Yeah. I think he's a kid that when he watches film, he takes something from it. You know, he, he learns. He... He's not a guy that's going to get stuck in the mud and be the same player tomorrow as he was today. He, he mm-hmm. develops. Yeah, and and to his credit, like he didn't fall apart after you guys both mentioned the Louisville game, and that was disastrous for the entire defense and specifically for AJ because the light was put on him to replace Derwin. Uh, and in all fairness, like in hindsight, they asked him to do a lot of things that Derwin James did, and maybe that wasn't fair for, for that guy in that role in that spot. And once they kind of recalibrated and had time to, to fix because they had to fix things on the fly that week, once they did life without Derwin, yeah, A.J. Westbrook looked, looked fine. He was good. Uh, yeah, so I think I think we're going to see him. And that was uh, one thing when Bob asked Jimbo was about Westbrook was just not just the versatility of, of safety or, or star, but even playing like dime linebacker. He's a guy that I think could do a bunch of different things. That's kind of Trey Marshall has been a safety or star. So, yeah, that makes the most sense, I think, a guy who we thought was going to replace Trey Marshall in that first half. Um, Looking at the depth chart too, like at star, you know, also mentioned there is Kyle Myers. Uh, he was there last year, um, and I think that's if they're going against a team that's going to do more traditional passing, and then you know they're looking for that third cornerback. AJ, AJ Westbrook's kind of that hybrid, do a little bit of everything, more of a run stopper than the play in space type of corner. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw like a Derwin James even in that role, and you move him down there when Trey Marshall comes back in the second half. If you want to try to beef up against Alabama's running game, you may do that too. So uh, what we're saying is there's a lot of different pieces and options um, that are evident just when looking at the depth chart. There's a lot of interchangeable parts. One other thing, guys, real quick. I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven true freshmen and eight newcomers if you include Adonis Thomas listed on there. Leonard Warner, Stanford Samuels, Thomas on defense. Offense, you have Trey McKitty actually as a number three tight end. That's cool because they didn't go three – deep at any other position, really. So they made sure to put McKitty in there. They liked what he's done this preseason. Up to Murray and Terry at wide receiver. No DJ Matthews. They have Justin Motlow, actually, as the the backup looking like the slot receiver to, to Nyquan Murray. That, that probably has a little bit to do with DJ being so slow during preseason. With the hamstring injury? Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, I think that's kind of what we're seeing there. And then you have Cam Akers, and you have the two quarterbacks, James Blackman and Bailey Hockman, who are right now looks like they're with J.J. Cosentino as the – there's two wars there. So Cosentino, Blackman, or Hockman as a backup to DeAndre Francois. So yeah. how, how many how many freshmen do you think play week one against Alabama? I, I, I think it's going to be – I've set the over-under in my mind as eight, um, as I'm letting you guys kind of process that because I haven't asked that before. But I think eight's the over-under. Um, you know Cam Akers for sure is going to play. Right. You know Joshua Kando is not on the two deep. He's going to play. I think Terry gets on the field whether special teams run offense. Yep, so that's three. Yep. Uh, defensively, you know, I, I think – He's not freshman, but Donis Thomas is going to play. He'll count him as a newcomer for Leonard Warner probably finds a role at least on special teams. Really Stanford like him. Samuels you love you love Stanford Samuels. I do, yep. and that's because he's super talented. Yep, um, he sees po- a role and polished in the secondary. Yeah, yeah, he's listed as the backup to Tavares McFadden, which is noteworthy. Kando and Wilson, who are not on the depth chart, I think both see a moment of play at least two. Um, Hamsa Nazarene? Yeah, probably, especially with Trey being out in the first half. Yeah, I'm just, man, special and teams, special like he's teams, big and fast yeah. and physical. I mean, yeah. if you're trying to stack the box and you're going full-fledged trying to stop the run, mm-hmm. Hamsa's a real good option because he's built like a tank. He's built like a linebacker. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So if you just want him to barrel down and fill a gap and try to finish a play if it comes his way, yeah, mm-hmm. you can turn to him. Kalen LeBourne uh, is the number two. Uh, he's actually on the depth chart too. I missed him. He's on the he's the backup uh, kick returner. returner. Yeah. So yeah, he'll probably play at special teams. Is not returning kicks. Probably coverage units or something like that. So we're looking. I think that was up to at least ten. Yeah, it's a, it's a credit. I mean, Fisher's talked a lot in preseason about how pleased they are with the freshman class about them being you know. Mm-hmm. Looking apart. That's been a difference of, of when you listen to Jimbo's tone from last year. Last year, I remember him saying specifically that it looked like all those freshmen belonged, but you know, can they do it consistently? Yeah. And this year, man, he's praised a lot of those guys consistently. Like he's mentioned Hampson. He's gone out of his way. We've talked about that before. He's mentioned Hampson Nazardine. He's mentioned Leonard Warner. He's, he's gone out of his way to talk about these guys multiple times. He likes his class. I, I think the caliber of opponent helps in that regard. Yeah. Because I, I think if you're a freshman walking on campus, you're always going to be nervous. You're always mm-hmm. going to be learning something new. But if you're opening with, you know, nobodies, or, mm-hmm. you know, if you're opening with a team that something about Bama just is going to get your juices. It grabs you're, your attention. You're, yeah, yeah, you're going to do it in practice. You're going to be a little more in tune in the classroom, working with coaches, learning about what you're supposed to be doing. I think. I think it all plays a role. I think I think that's true for the whole team. I don't think it's solely for freshmen. Well, so I think it's the seniors. I, I think those are like the Derwin James, not just seniors, upperclassmen are kind of – you better not screw this up for, it's, for it's us. It's not like they those blew off Ole Miss last year. They, no. It was a business-like approach, but Bama's entirely This different. is different. Let, let's, yeah. let's go into Bama a little bit. And when Jimbo was asked how many questions about Bama today. About half of what half we talked of, about. And, 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 and not before. just Bama, like the matchup, but Bama, like Nick Saban, Nick Saban Jeremy, Jeremy Pruitt. The, the, and I, I got some time to write about Jimbo and his relationship with Nick Saban. And that's like Nick Saban played a huge role in Jimbo as a you know, program builder. A lot of what Jimbo has applied to Florida State is based off what Nick Saban has done. When Jimbo was asked about you know comparing you know what he's taken away from Saban versus Bobby Bowden, he got almost would you say defensive guys? Was he? I wouldn't say defensive. I think he wanted to make it clear that he's his own his own man. Yeah, which is true. He, he, he is. has a ton of respect for both of those yeah. individuals. He learned a ton from both of those individuals. I think he values his time he spent with both of them a great deal. But I think his point was more so. I had a way of thinking. I was going to do this, and I applied things I learned from them to mm-hmm. what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. That I'm, I'm, I'm my own man. I'm not replicating or copying anybody. But you know, if something works, I'm not scared of implementing it too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and truthfully, I think, I think to some degree, Jimbo's just sick of the him and Nick storyline. Yeah, I'm sure Nick is too. I mean, it's they knew that was coming before since the season ended last year. Yeah. So. And they knew that was coming. That this was going to be part of it. And they, you can tell this they're point they're inseparable in yeah. history. I mean, what they did at LSU launched both of them into the careers they now have. Mm-hmm. Saban's obviously came quicker because he was already a head coach. But you know, Jimbo's success at LSU at turning that program around because they, as you wrote in your article, plug plug, they were relatively dog shit when those two got there. They were and terrible. They I think they really won good, seven really games fast. combined the two yeah. two years I think it was before. Three or four, yeah, two years. And they got really good really fast, and they were good on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. And they were sort of different than what had been going mm-hmm. on at that time. So it's a launching pad, and they're always going to be connected because of that. And they're two of the three best programs in the country over mm-hmm. the last you know, seven, eight years. And it's because of the guys that run them. last seven years, I think, it's, it's them, one and two. Yeah, versus and Ohio State's in that conversation, yeah. too. But, but in terms of just wins and losses, yeah. like it's Alabama one, Florida State two. Um, and, like, you know, Jimbo may not like the storyline. Like, and I get it. Like, I wouldn't want to be compared to, you know, if I'm compared to Chris Knee every day because he works at Knowles 24-7 or when I was at the Sentinel, 
you know, Coley Harvey, who is here today, who is now on Big Shot on ESPN, getting compared. Like, you don't want to be compared to the predator. That man can dress. Well, he can dress, and, I mean, yeah. Talk talk about a tough act to follow. Like, you know, I'm always good people. Yeah, he is. He is, and he's doing good things. You can yeah. see him on SportsCenter a lot. Um, but, you know, you don't want to be compared. But, like, in all fairness, like, Jimbo Fisher hired Jeremy Pruitt from Alabama to instill the, the install the, the Nick Saban defense. Go down the line of the coaches on this current Florida State staff right now. There's usually a saving connection. I mean, let's see. Rick Trickett, saving connection. Yeah. Obviously, they were Bill at together. Miller. Bill Miller was uh, at Michigan State under Saban. Lawrence Dossie came over from LSU with, with Jimbo, right? So um, that's just off the top of my head. Brad, Brad Line. So, so there's half the staff right there. Um, yeah, so, so there's going to be the comparisons. Uh, have you guys seen Jimbo kind of – I'll put this. I think we've seen them kind of tighten up the last couple of days. He's been pretty loose throughout camp. I yeah. thought. I thought. In pra- the other day they were yelling at us to practice to stop yeah. filming stuff. They were getting a little, uh, well, little, little antsy. Caliber of opponent. Yeah. And they get all ways on them. They they want to win, mm-hmm. and it's not just because it's Alabama. I I think it's fair to say the expectations within the football program are very high, and they're not looking at it as we can afford a loss and still be a playoff team or be a two loss potential playoff team. Mm-hmm. And they view it as we need to go kind of prove it week in, week out, and it starts with proving against the best heavyweight there is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think there's some of it, but I don't feel like Jimbo's gotten tight in the sense of like nervousness or anything like that. I think it's just a matter of like, it's go time. It's football time, yeah. I would say tight-lipped. Like, <laughs> yeah, Jimbo's <laughs> yes. answers, they have been like, if you ask specifically what's the injury with so-and-so. Be back in a couple weeks. He won't even answer what the injury is. It's like hockey where you're going to say uh, upper extremity and it's really ankle. Is that ankle. gamesmanship though? I mean, oh, I mean like Dr. Totally Jackson's out and not going to play against Alabama it doesn't matter what his injury is and he won't say what that is I understand but you know I understand if you don't want to say what a kid's specific injury is that's fine like as me like I don't that's your prerogative to not share that with Jimbo answers on injuries with Jimbo is like chipping away ankle right? you're, you're, ankle. you're never going to get the super direct first time out answer I mean think about Derwin last year for a while there with Derwin with the meniscus and Mario Pinder like, had a collapsed lung and they were yeah. saying he could possibly come come you back and they were rolling out. You gotta keep chipping away. You ask him <laughs> ten to twelve times you'll finally get to the root of the answer. Uh there's a yeah. <laughs> That's a <laughs> Let's talk about media policies real quick because I'm still kind of pissed off. And again, two hours of sleep. You know, I would love to be able to go and do a practice report. I, mean, I don't. I don't like doing the practice reports. I know our readers like doing them. To me, they're tedious. They're kind of. It's a lot of minutia. But I know we have a lot of people that subscribe to our website that do, it, and they subscribe to the War Chance, and they go and they read Tomahawk Nation and the Orlando Sentinel and 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 Tallahassee Democrat all do their practice reports because people like that information. But at the same time, and I would far prefer practice being open compared to the current status, but we all go out there to see who is and isn't there and who is not working out, mm-hmm. and then we try to figure out why the hell they're not working out and you know whether we get it from a source or from Jimbo or player or however we come about it. 50% of the time, it's nothingness, and we're chasing it and yeah. worrying about it. I, I don't know. I mean, I... Practice to me is kind of like one of those things where it's two percent of the pie each day. I don't, I don't. I would far prefer to be able to watch practice and for openness and to gather more. But I understand why coaches are kind of paranoid about it. I, yeah, and it's not like Jimbo's the only one. They're all paranoid about it. Well, it's all. I mean, it's, it's Nick Saban places. has basically made this to where everyone's following yeah. what Nick Saban does, and it works. And all fairness, it's worked for him. The current generation of coaches. I mean, yeah. think about how quickly coaches get canned. How quickly there's turnover. Coaches. Mm-hmm. 
a lot of them are in a constant state of you know paranoia and everything's short term very yeah. few are thinking long term many I mean, have Jimbo gotten, and Nick are guys that can think long term many they, have gotten burned so I get it yeah. like, I makes mean, sense some but, coaches can think long term because they've established themselves as what they are Jimbo mm-hmm. Fisher Nick Saban Urban Meyer there's a healthy other handful of them mm-hmm. but most of them they're three year guys and probably going to get fired so mm-hmm. I get why paranoia is kind of the name of the game if I were ranking the things that I wanted as far as access in this program, I'd put practice access lower compared to, say, like being able to talk to an assistant coach, maybe one guy yeah. a week. It's kind of low on my list, but it's almost like everything else has been taken away. So that was our one kind yeah. of nice viewpoint in the program. We were able to take some videos. And I think in August on, on social media and on our, on our website, people love seeing videos of Here's James Blackman. Here's his first practice. Here's Tamari and Terry. Mm. Here's the guys that you haven't seen since you probably saw their huddle highlight tape from senior year. Mm-hmm. And I think people wanted to see just a little glimpse of that. And I'm, I'm glad we were able to show it, but I think we all kind of felt like this day was coming where yeah. practice was going to get closed. And it, They did it last year, too, yeah. around the first week yeah. of the season before Ole Miss. They did it sometime, and they did it abruptly, and they didn't do it with a lot of warning. We were told practice was going to be open. Today's a Monday. We were told that last Thursday, I think, an email yeah, that went out. And, you know, practice. come to find out, on we get here, we got an email. Had three. We, all three of us expected we, it. We knew close. this was coming. So. I, I, I'll just say this. The, the, I, I'm with Bob. I would much rather, you know, get assistant coaches, get the players that we request to talk to so we can go with in-depth stories and do cool anecdotes and things that are different. Um, but... You know, our audience is clearly like the practice reports, and that's it. Sounds like us bitching about. Oops, sorry, uh, earmuffs. Sounds like us complaining about our jobs. Uh, in reality, like again, it's easier for us to not have to go out to practice. I get to stay home two extra hours now with my dog and work from home and get to spend time and maybe see uh, my fiance when she gets home from work. I like how the dog comes with <laughs> Well, I mean, she may or may not be home before we leave for football. I get to see the dog every day, um, but you know. What it does is like it's not it's not me that it affects it's not Chris or Bob that it affects like it's it's the fans you're the ones who want to see Tamari and Terry looking awesome yeah uh, you're the one who want to see how Derwin James does you know catching and fielding a kick return like that's tough for you guys so I mean that that's just that's my frustration is that it's hurting not just you know our productivity as reporters more so it's just kind of alienating your fan base and that kind of stinks I, I, it's, but as long as they're winning I don't think anyone cares I yeah. think that's a sacrifice right yeah and that, that's true I mean people people only want information when they're like desiring it because they're angry about it they don't really like if FSU beats Bama they're not going to listen to a single word which I said like it doesn't matter to them they're, I mean, they're but think if it's they all lose great. Them, I think more people will care. Like, what's yeah. going on? Why is this happening? Yada yada. Last year, when things were going bad for the team, our best days in traffic were right after losses. Would yeah. be that Saturday evening, that Sunday morning, even that Monday when Jibbo would explain, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday was some of that is other fan bases looking at the train wreck, though. I think so too, but I think I mean just as far as engagement, as far as people being curious. When things weren't going well, like that, that the train wreck was what everyone wanted to see was why explaining why things went off the tracks. My favorite rabbit hole to go down on the internet is when a team goes to hell, like something just goes really bad for them, go on their message boards and just watch. Just watch, watch it burn. Just reading it. I mean, watching it burns. I mean, it's just like like all Miss fans for uh, Cam yeah, Akers. Exactly. That was so much fun, and I don't I don't have a dog in the fight. I don't care, but to watch them implode was hilarious. Um, all right, moving on. All right. <laughs> Speaking of Cam Akers, can I go over the pronunciation chart real quick? Because no, 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 no. Please, you're, you're off what pronunciation. I know that's why it's going to be fun. Just two, just three. Just give me three. You do you. 
Cam Akers, all right? They gave a pronunciation chart with, with phonetic, like how you're supposed to, to say it. And so for Cam Akers, his last name, you pronounce it Akers, A-C-R-E-S. Was there any, was there any thoughts that A-K-E-R-S was not pronounced Akers? Or am, I, am I mistaken there? There was no doubt in my mind. Yeah. But, yeah. Here's one. Maven Saunders pronounced Maven as expected, but numerous players and coaches call him Marvin. <laughs> That's just like they used to I mean, call James. Like, they used I, to call James Jameson. Yeah, like, but I think like Brewster, for example, I want to say at media day called him Marvin on the record, and I've heard <laughs> players call him Marvin. So it's just kind of funny to me. I mean, I I never thought it was Marvin. I thought maybe like M A H V I N kind of pronunciation. Same thing with Jaquez Patrick like that people put in a Jarquez. Yeah, but you know, here we got it was Jaw J A W hyphen Quez Jaquez. So that makes sense. All right, here's one that we've talked about before. Uh, Hamsa, you guys ready for it? Nas? Oh, so, or is it Nas or not? Nas? Nas? Well, just Nas. like this? All right, so Nas. I'm going to screw it up. Real. Real. Nasraldine. Nasraldine. I always like saying Nasraldine, but it's Nasraldine. Bob, say it. Dude needs a nickname. <laughs> Nas. Let's go Nas. N-A-Z. Cole Minshew is Cole, it's Menshew, like men's shoes, which is pretty cool. Um... And the one, one that actually is going to be probably good for the fan base and for myself, because I've been saying it wrong this entire time. Surprise, surprise. Uh, it looks to me like Kalan Laborn or Kalane Laborn. It's Kaylin Laborn. K-A-Y apostrophe Lynn, like, like Lynn, the girl's name, Lynn. Kaylin Laborn. So are you guys happy that we did that? Chris looks miserable right now. I'm good. That was fun. You got your Marvin anecdote on there. I just I enjoy watching replays on TV and listening to announcers butcher names when you know they have a pronunciation guide and you know they've spoken to somebody within the athletic say, program. Did you say pronunciation wrong? <laughs> you, you, you mispronounced pronunciation. <laughs> but you know they've spoken to somebody within the program about how to do it, how to say it, how to you know explain this person's name, or they met the young man and asked him how to do say your name. Mm-hmm. And they still butchered. I mean, Keith Gavin during I think it was Michigan last year. I believe Herbstreit kept messing that up. What was he doing, Garvin or I think Gavin, <laughs> if I remember correctly. It's just it's weird. So I, don't know. I like some of the way. <laughs> Never mind. Two hours of sleep, guys. Two hours of sleep. All right, I think that's a perfect place to end this podcast because it's been all over the place. I think it's been kind of fun at times, kind of informative, kind of stupid. I think that's kind of what we've been going for here. At least what I've been going for. Later this week, we'll dive more in Alabama. We're going to have a pod about that. Uh, We'll also talk recruiting on that pod. We'll have Josh come back from the dead. To speak to us, he he enjoyed that. Period he's of like he's, he's like the the, the night king well, no, riding no, no, on a that glorious the dragon. Period of August, Josh has a job to do again. So, <laughs> yeah, that's um, where we're at. Yeah, we will, and that'll be Thursday, guys. We'll have the podcast. Plan, yeah. We're planning on Thursday, and that's going to be as we go through the regular season for bigger games like uh, Alabama, like Miami. We're gonna have two a week. I think is our plan for Miami's big, a big game. Hey, oh well, you know. For, for, for Miami, it is. I don't know. It's not Nikosi Perry. Oh, I'm shocked. I thought he would walk right on campus and be anointed. No Jameis Winston's walking <clears> through <throat> that door. Sorry, UM fans. <laughs> what is it going to be, eight in a row? Yeah. Yeah. Whew. All right. Until then, we're going to talk about Alabama next Thursday. Or Sorry, this Thursday, folks, again, two hours of sleep. Uh, thanks for listening to Knowles 24-7 podcast. Uh, bearing with us. Hopefully, again, informative, funny, stupid, whatever. Hopefully, you got some kind of enjoyment with it. Um, this is Brennan Sinone. Thank you to Chris Nee, Bob Ferrante for joining me. And we'll talk to you guys on Thursday with a more in-depth and uh, hopefully refreshed and rested preview for, uh, for Alabama. All right, see you guys.